Hello everyone, and welcome to Downsizing, the podcast where we try and figure out when The Office actually ended, because everyone would have been fired. My name is Curtis, and I'll be your host, and with me is my co-host and resident office expert, Antoinette. Hi everyone. Today we will be discussing Season 6, Episode 3, The Promotion. In this episode, The Office Gets Raises, Dwight Plans an Uprising, and Jim and Michael struggle with co-managing. This episode's cold open, as well as the episode at large, kind of shows the rather obvious holes in the co-managing system that the Scranton branch now has. We see Dwight needing an expense report signed, and so he first goes to Michael who says, nope, that's a day-to-day thing, that's going to be for Jim. And so Dwight then goes to Jim, who does Jim things, and he just says, oh, no, you're going to need to say please. And Dwight, being stubborn, doesn't say please. So Dwight leaves Jim's office and goes back to Michael's office to complain about Jim. And Michael is still very much stuck on this big picture thing. And so he tells Dwight that this is not a big enough thing for me to handle. And so Dwight goes back to Jim to complain about Jim. Dwight also notes that he thinks that he should have gotten this promotion. He's really upset and we'll talk about this more as we get into the episode, but he's furious that Jim got this promotion and sort of took it upon himself to offer up this idea to David Wallace, who then really seized on it. It's quite a long cold open, I will say. Yeah. And for me, that sets the tone for this episode. It's kind of a languishing episode in some respects. As Curtis said, the main takeaway, and Oscar encapsulates this very well, The main takeaway is that having co-managers doesn't actually improve things at Dunder Mifflin. I think that it's a way to get John Krasinski more to the forefront. His movie career and popularity is sort of taking off at this point. Is it though? Because at this point, and really beyond this... He doesn't do much. I think it's more that he's moving into the Hollywood A-list because he's dating Emily Blunt or is married already at this point, but I think he's dating her. He's friends with like Jimmy Kimmel and Matt Damon and George Clooney after starring in Leatherheads with George Clooney. So I think it's more that he is... In magazines? That's just a guess. Maybe. I mean, other than Leatherheads, I don't know what else he's been in other than A Quiet Place and the Jack Ryan series. He's in Something Borrowed. He's in, I think it's like License to Wed or something. It's the Mandy Moore, Robin Williams movies. He's doing some like rom-com sort of things at this point. And he's in that weird Benghazi movie. Yeah, that was after this. That was later. Yes. But yes, yeah. 
So I don't know if that's what is driving this co-managing storyline, but again, this is just an episode that doesn't really land for me. I'm surprised it got the reviews it seems to have gotten as far as like people loving seeing this new aspect to Michael and Jim's relationship, but it's just ho-hum. Yeah, and I think a lot of this comes from the fact that Michael is more useless than he normally is in this episode because he is they they really play up his indecision part of his character and it's almost like Jim is doing this by himself and Michael is doing his best to stand in the way of that. Right. He is being like a roadblock to just rational decision-making and trying to get around Jim as his co-manager and continuously asserting that he's more senior than Jim. And that's why this this plot line just, it doesn't make sense. It's never going to make sense because of the personalities involved, because Michael cannot share or be seen as not having the power, even though it's not really the power that's part of it, but being seen as like lesser than is very concerning to Michael. And so Jim trying to grow into this role starts at the beginning of the episode when Michael calls a conference room meeting. And he says that, go ahead and bring a snack because we might be in there for a while. And so Jim asks Michael to come into his office, to which Michael says, okay, yes, but can you first join me in my office? And so we see, like you said, Michael throughout this episode trying to make power moves to really kind of reaffirm his place as the manager. And so when Jim says that he doesn't want to do as many conference meetings, Michael does push back on this a little bit, but eventually caves to Jim's surprise. And we see that Michael doesn't really have any intention of not doing conference room meetings. He just is going to go about it a different way. So we see in another scene, Kelly, Creed, Stanley, and Oscar in his sitting in his office having a mini conference room meeting essentially and so Jim comes in and says what is this about like what's going on here and Michael is trying to say how important this meeting is and it's a small focus group thing and when Jim asks Stanley what the last thing Michael said was Stanley can't relay that information so it is obvious that yes this is a another pointless meeting that Michael is having. I think Michael likes to have these conference room meetings because he's lonely just in his life. He doesn't have anyone to talk to, so he gets people in a room because they have to be there because he's their boss and then just sort of waxes poetic on just different weird topics. We've seen examples of this, of of really pointless conference room meetings and Jim is trying to cut down on this. He says it's a disruption to the day, which we've been doing this for five seasons now. We know they are disruptions to to the day. Now Jim 
early on sort of welcomed these disruptions, but he is, like he said, really trying to grow into this role. I have coworkers who I think equally rely on the workplace for their entire source of friendship and camaraderie and socialization. And because of that, do something sometimes similar to Michael and the conference room meeting. They view each day as, okay, I'm going to kind of fill my social cup here. So I'm going to go to a different people's cube or I'm going to make sure that I'm having like a group lunch that involves as much chatting as I want to, you know, get into it, not necessarily a break, uh, in the day. And it, it's a perfectly good way of going about like having friends at work, but if that's your entire social circle, it is sort of draining and it is very difficult to draw that line that Jim is wanting Michael to draw here of, is this necessary is this for work purposes? You know, if I have meetings with certain people, I know that I have to build in an extra 30 to 60 minutes because that's how much time we're going to spend chit-chatting, talking, whatever. And not that that's not fun, but to do that every single time can be a time suck and it can be disruptive. And for Michael, that is just so important to him because as he said before, kind of like about meal times, like might as well be dinner. For him, time without people from the office might as well be the weekend. He's probably getting through the weekend so he can go back into work to talk to people in the office. Mm -hmm. The main point of contention in this episode comes up when David Wallace calls and tells Michael and Jim that they are not giving cost of living raises this year because they just don't have it in the budget. Instead, they are just going to give a small amount of money to each branch and let the managers kind of choose how to distribute that. And so we see where the conflict is going to come between Michael and Jim here because Michael wants to take this opportunity to establish himself as the superior manager. Whereas Jim sees this as his first opportunity to make a big decision and establish himself in the co-manager role and put himself as Michael's equal. This whole thing is really dumb to me as far as this decision by David. I think it's passing the buck by David and corporate. Yeah. So normally like a cola raise is probably 3%. When Jim and Michael are talking about how much they have to distribute and what it breaks down to for each person, it comes down to like one and a half percent, somewhere around there. I don't know why corporate just didn't say your cost of living adjustment for this year is one and a half percent instead of passing the buck to the individual branches to do. And Michael does something similar to what he did in Survivor Man 
with Jim in that he's sort of trying to Mr. Miyagi the situation a little bit, but a little bit more maliciously here because he feels threatened by the co-manager relationship. He wants Jim to fall flat on his face. We also see the difference in how Michael and Jim come to decision-making. We know how Michael comes to decision-making. He procrastinates and he puts it off, tries to get other people to do it, especially unpopular decisions. Which is why I'm so surprised that the writers decided to make this such a contentious thing. Because we know that that is Michael's M.O., and we also see it in play in this episode because there are several times in the episode where he does the thing he does where he says something without actually saying something. And ironically, Michael has what I think is the best and most obvious solution to this problem. Michael says that just give everybody one and a half percent raises and Jim yeah Jim takes the time to do a pros and cons list of that situation and is trying to think of other ways they can do this and I think this is just Jim trying to think of you know other things to do and put other scenarios out there just for the sake of doing that to again, show that he is a part of this process. Yeah, and just to not be like, okay, yeah, fine, good idea. Everyone gets one and a half percent easy peasy done. He has a little bit of ego here as well that's driving this, that's preventing him from seeing this as the best solution. And when I said earlier, it's like Survivor Man, the idea he comes up with is kind of similar to the okay let's just have one party for everyone's birthday and that'll go over well everyone's a rational person they'll see how this is so much better for productivity and uh, time etc so Jim's plan is to say we've gone through hard times global financial crisis we're trying to write the company let's give these raises to the sales staff because they're bringing in the bulk of the money for Dunder Mifflin. We need to keep them happy. We need to reward them getting through probably the Michael Scott Paper Company time, quite frankly. However, in a small office, that just doesn't work. So everyone except for Ryan and Toby and probably Jim and Michael, to be quite honest, are up for distribution of these raises. So Jim thinks that the best way to go about this is just to level with everyone, to treat them as an adult and tell them what the situation is. Michael is more than happy to let him do that because he can foresee that Jim's going to fall on his face, basically, when he conveys that, hey, my plan is to give this to the sales staff. But when it comes time to capitalize on this situation, Michael isn't able to do so because, like we said, he can't make decisions in the moment. He has to not even take time to think about it, just 
put it off until the absolute last possible second. And so as he is trying to calm everyone down and kind of assuage the situation, everyone is looking for answers from him. And he, like I said earlier, just does this roundabout talking where he isn't actually saying anything. And then he and Jim just kind of sulk into the conference room to try and figure out the best solution for this problem. Exactly. Michael didn't take the time to come up with an alternative solution or to say, hey, my thought was everyone gets one and a half percent. Rather, he wanted to revel in Jim sort of falling on his face and not predicting the blowback from everyone else. I mean, how Jim didn't foresee this coming when he made a group announcement of like, hey, it's going to the sales staff only. Accounting obviously was upset. Meredith is obviously upset. I don't know why Jim thought that people would be like, yeah, that's cool. You know, and I don't know what the, if I haven't done the math. So if everyone's getting one and a half over 10 people, how much that would be over just the sales staff. But to me, one and a half percent is like, it's not nothing. I mean, it's probably, maybe it comes down to $50 a check, but still it's not nothing. It's a little bit of a raise for people. Yeah, and so this just kind of goes back to the thought of why they didn't just think, okay, well, sure, people aren't going to be happy that they only got 1.5% over the 3% or whatever they normally get, but it is better than nothing. They'll gripe about it, but at least they will have something. Yes. The blowback of, hey, these people are going to get raises and nobody else is, was going to be obvious, and the complaints, obviously, are going to be a lot larger in that situation. Oh, definitely. When they go back into the conference room, Michael has a new plan and it's merit-based raises, which, okay, not the worst idea, but still, that's for a large office. You can't really do that with an office of 12 people with three of them being the accounting department who are going to process the check and know you know what it comes down to so now they have to rank everyone in the office and I don't know why Jim goes along with this idea and this is where the episode I think goes off the rails because I think Jim would have said yeah everyone gets one and a half percent that makes the most sense it, but if you do that, there's no episode, there's no conflict, there's no Michael and Jim having to hash out this co-management relationship. So they decide that the way that they are going to determine everyone's merit is to take beans and each of them get the same number and they put everyone's picture on the conference room table, they draw all the blinds, and they each get a turn to put a bean on someone's face. And the bean represents, I think the bean represented something like half a percent raise, which means that, again, some people could be getting quite a lot depending on what Michael and or Jim think that their worth is. 
this system goes awry when Dwight, who has been reveling in this situation of Jim kind of falling flat on his face, goes into the conference room as Michael and Jim are taken away by an email from David Wallace, and then invites the office at large into the conference room to see what Michael and Jim have been working on. And so they now see this system where some people have beans on their face, some people have more beans than other people, and this only serves to stir things up even more in the office. People are questioning why the beans are allocated the way that they are. And so Dwight takes this opportunity to try and basically start an uprising against Jim and to kind of stir up people's emotions. And it becomes very clear right away that while people are upset, they just don't care enough to change anything. Yeah, an uprising is not on people's radar at all. And Curtis, I'm very curious what you think of this character development for Dwight here. Dwight has changed over the seasons, I would say. If you think back to the character we met in the pilot episode and we knew through, I don't know, let's just say season three to four, where he really worshipped the ground that Michael walked on. And we talked about this a couple episodes back in relation to the Michael Scott Paper Company. And Dwight just does not have the reverence for Michael that he used to. And he also is sort of changing in his... I don't know, I'd say maybe assertiveness a bit. He's always been brash and he's always had these like eccentricities, but to start this uprising against Jim is sort of, uh, to me, a bit of a heel turn for his character in some respects. Yeah, I guess I can kind of see that. There, there are a couple moments in this episode where it is hard to tell what Dwight wants more. If he wants Jim's position or if he wants just Michael to be the manager as he was before. We do know that Dwight's goal in life is to be the regional manager of the Scranton branch. And so... I can see why he would be pushing against Jim here, but I do think it is more about Jim getting the job rather than the job not being his. Definitely. It, it, to him, it's a slap in the face that this person, who at the end of season two, we saw all the pranks that had been pulled on Dwight over the years just laid out. That is the person that's now getting management position, getting raises, getting the esteem in the company, and Dwight is not. Now, Dwight is a very revered salesman. He was very revered by Charles. 
But his eccentricities are what keep tripping him up. That's what led to his downfall with Charles. It's probably what is leading to David to sort of overlook him. If you remember in season three and the party at David's house and just how very odd Dwight was at that and just how he doesn't really have the interpersonal skills beyond kind of just selling paper. He doesn't necessarily have management skills and we'll see that next season actually how he doesn't have empathy for others and that makes him a not very good manager slash building owner. So the problem is that this man who has sort of made Dwight's work life awful in some respects for a lot of years just at the expense of a joke is now his boss and I think that's maybe a a lot to swallow for Dwight but he can't get anybody else to do more than just grumble with him. And the backlash that comes from the office at large doesn't have the effect on Michael that he thought it would. Or maybe it did and he's had his moment of joy and now is kind of had a change of heart. And so where at first he was really taking joy in Jim failing at this because it kind of showed that Michael was the better manager or is the one that really should be in the sole manager role. He now sees the struggle that Jim is having and kind of feels for him, but also takes the opportunity to appreciate the fact that he is no longer alone in this Situation. At one point, he goes into Jim's office, and Jim is just kind of sitting there, like head in his hands, really kind of struggling to grasp the situation. And Michael just kind of chuckles. And when Jim asks, you know, what what he was laughing about, Michael says, "You know, I used to have to do this part by myself, and now it's just kind of nice to have somebody to share this with." And so Michael leaves the office and he goes to get something and he comes back with the iconic world's best boss mug. And he has his and he has one for Jim. And so they sit in the office and just kind of share a moment together over a mug of gin. Michael does say it's really nice to have someone to share these moments of being the manager with and meaning these times when they have to make unpopular decisions. He says he forgot that he used to have to do this alone. So he's glad to have Jim here, although I would still argue that the backlash is of their own making. Absolutely. And that's where we see this development and a little bit of a throwback to the Survivor Man episode of Jim and Michael's relationship where they're able to they're going to push each other and annoy each other but they're able to relate to each other in this co-management job it still doesn't make a ton of sense because the tasks are very nebulous big picture in day to day can bleed into one another and it's kind of difficult to separate those and have two people working on them differently because you need to know 
the day-to-day to draw the big picture, but you have to know the big picture to then work on what's happening on the day-to-day. Like, they're so interchangeable that, again, like Oscar said, really doesn't make any sense. And that's pretty much where we see this episode wrap up. So let's go to the annex with Antoinette and find out any fun facts about the episode. We see Jim has an office in this episode, and it's a room that we have never, ever seen in the office floor plan. And it will remain there through the end of the series, but it's pretty much just a brand new room, uh, sort of off of where the shelves, the supply shelves used to be, like on the way to the kitchen. It's just this new room that they built on the set that hadn't been there previously. We have seen it one time before. It is in the episode of The Convict, and there's the one time when we see Martin sitting at his desk, and he looks over at Stanley and just gives him, like, the like the chest pound thing, and Stanley, like, rolls his eyes. That's where the office is, huh. where that desk used to be, because okay. it is straight to, like, Stanley's left. Okay. And that's all I really have for the annex. I would say that season six is starting out a bit slow, uh, in my opinion. And we talked about it at the end of season five as just to, you know, where things are going. Curtis, does anyone get fired this episode? No, not really. Everybody's pretty tame. Uh, there are a couple things, I think, here and there. There's like, eh, maybe, but no, nothing too egregious. What is your Dundee for this episode? My Dundee is the generational divide and most common advice column question, and that goes to wedding gifting. Jim and Pam's wedding is coming up, and we saw last episode that Pam is hunting down people for RSVPs, and she's also getting questions about, are they registered anywhere? Pam says that they really just want cash. That's what they need. They don't need a lot of stuff. They didn't appear to make any registries, or if they did, they didn't register for a lot of things. And she feels weird asking people for cash. I've found, though, as a wedding guest and a wedding attendee, that a lot of people don't want to mess with objects and, like, toting around a gift to the reception or whatever it is that the registries are more for the bridal showers. However, I read advice columns and I will say that one of the most commonly asked questions and one of the most griped about things between generations is this desire for cash for your wedding. The boomer generation thinks it's tacky my response to that would be well you got married between the ages most likely of 18 to 20 you moved from your parents home to your marital home with your new spouse and you did not have a single item and so what you basically had was a housewarming party in addition to a wedding. It was all rolled into one with the bridal shower, you know, engagement party, whatever. So yeah, you needed stuff. 
to build a home. People are getting married later in life now, and Jim and Pam are no exception. We think they're about 30, maybe a little over 30. They have stuff. Maybe it's not the nicest. Maybe they registered for some things to replace those. But they have built homes separately. They live together now. They don't need a new toaster. They probably have a toaster. So now, is it nice to ask for gifts? No. A, a wedding invitation is not necessarily a mandate for a gift at all. That's just a nice gesture. However, I don't understand all this hoopla about, well, I refuse to give cash. I think it, it's just, like I said, a very much a generational thing. And for me, it's a lot easier to carry around an envelope that just goes into a box at the reception than it is to carry around a heavy kitchen small appliance, basically. Curtis, what is your Dundee Award? I basically have the, the same one. <laughs> uh, I don't have a name for it, but yeah, I was going to talk about this as well. Um, and so the things I have to add to that is kind of what you said at the end there. It is much easier to just give an envelope, especially if you have a decent amount of traveling to do for this wedding. So if you have to fly somewhere, it, you obviously aren't going to check a bag just to carry the pots and pans set that you got these people. Also, with the rise of the internet, it has made asking for cash a lot easier because many wedding websites now have like just the all-in-one, one-stop place for the wedding so it says where the wedding is what hotels they have a block at and it just kind of gathers all of the gift registries and put them in one place so whether you are registering at target or lowe's or amazon or whatever you can just buy that item off of the from the registry on that site rather than having to go to those individual sites and most of these wedding websites have an option to where you can either contrib contribute towards a larger gift like you know a $800 grill or something like that or you can just give cash towards a house fund towards the honeymoon fund so it kind of destigmatizes it a little bit i guess it feels better and i think that probably is to assuage people of a certain generation i think that people in our generation have zero qualms about giving cash or receiving cash it's fine like who wouldn't want that and then you can just use that cash to buy the things that you wanted anyway like it is it, it all is the same but i think by doing this thing where it's like okay this cash is going towards something definite quote unquote who knows if the people are going to use the 50 dollars i give them at their wedding towards their honeymoon right i don't care what they do with that money yeah but i do think that helps people of a certain generation 
to legitimize it and be like, oh, okay, I'm going to help them buy their next house. Yes. Who was your employee of the month this episode? I guess I'll go with Dwight. There's not any real clear winner in my opinion, but he's going to come out of the situation of the raise. He's going to get a raise no matter what, and he's also sort of planting the seeds for Jim's downfall, and that keeps him busy for most of this season, I would say. Who is your employee of the month? Yeah, kind of similar to you. I just kind of chose somebody. Uh, neither of us really enjoyed this episode. There wasn't much to it. So I chose Oscar because he talks a lot in this episode. <laughs> and he makes some good points. Yeah, that's and that's pretty much my basis. So that does it for this week's episode. Please be sure to follow us on Twitter at DownsizingPod to get all the latest updates. And be sure to keep listening to us on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you're listening to us. Be sure to rate, subscribe, like, and comment wherever you can in order to get our name out there. We appreciate you guys listening, and we will see you guys next time. Bye. Bye.